You're listening to an ACR 2021 podcast, a compilation of reports, interviews, perspectives, and panel discussions that feature the Room Now faculty and noted experts. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Room Now's ACR 21 evening recap. It's the first day, it's the opening ceremony we've had today, and actually we've had a number of things happen this week. We're going to review with you what's happened up to this point, give you some of our favorites. I'm joined today by Dr. Sheila Reyes from the Philippines, Dr. Catherine Dow from around the corner in Dallas, and Rachel Tate from Florida. Um, good evening, folks. How are you all doing? Great, hi. Good, good. Hey there. So let's uh, let's begin with, you know, we're going to end this session with a discussion of the year in review, which was quite an interesting session today, but a lot of other things happened today. We had a keynote address, a presidential address, but there were things that even happened earlier this week. Kat, you want to tell us about some of those or things that you liked? Oh, absolutely. So this was actually the very first year they did a um, global rheumatology summit. And in the summit, they had um, discussions about underserved areas where they can't even get access to rheumatologists. And the Dr. Ziffa Day, she actually pioneered the first rheumatology clinic in Ghana, and she won the inaugural Distinguished International Rheumatology Professional Award. And it's incredible. I mean, the work that she's done bringing rheumatology and the attention of um, you know, the plight of people who, who need care but can't get it. So she's she's done amazing work. And then um, not only that, they had like Dr. Alakija, who is the co-chair of the African Union Vaccine Delivery Alliance, talking about vaccine disparities in underserved countries. So so I love the fact that they highlighted, you know, like the areas that we need um, to focus our attention to. It shows growth. It shows a lot of growth for the American College of Rheumatology and also where you know, if one country is threatened, all of us is threatened. So, so essentially, if we work together, we will help each other. Any, any, uh, Rachel, do you have any any suggestions about things you saw that you liked before today? I mean, I agree with Catherine. I thought those stories were just phenomenal, and they really kind of shaped things for me. I also really liked radiology boot camp. I mean, maybe that's just because I have a father who's a radiologist, but I don't know. I even learned some, some new pearls and some new thoughts too. So I think in terms of prior ACRs, I really like the lead up to this one. Uh, I hadn't anticipated that as much as I thought I would, but I've, I've really enjoyed what we've seen so far. So it's good. Interesting session on women in rheumatology. Was there not? Who saw that? I did. Yeah. Oh my God. So you know, they call her Chayla, right? Dr. Um, Alarcon. Alarcon. Yes. Oh, I mean, I tweeted this and it got a lot of reaction. It, they considered her a high risk hire. Why? Because she's female, she's young, and she got kids, young kids. So the fact that she is now a rheumatology giant and the fact that they were going to like bypass her, holy cow. I mean, just think about this. All right, if you're a trainee out there, you know, don't take no for an answer. Give it all you got. Show them what you're worth. That's what her video taught me. Yeah, she's an OG. I mean, she is just a dynamite. It's amazing to hear her story and to kind of think about how we've come so far, but yet we still have a lot to learn too. She's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm pleased that the ACR is highlighting um, these discussions because they need to be had. 
you know, the data is pretty clear about number one, women taking over in rheumatology as far as, you know, the workforce and that there are a lot of issues, whether you're in practice or whether you're in academia as to, you know, fair treatment, equal opportunity, you know, um, workplace issues and whatnot. You know, this is all about our careers and we belong to ACR because we want to be better at our careers and have advancement and be smarter and stuff. And so I'm glad that this group exists. Uh, I think we'll be seeing more throughout the meeting about women in rheumatology. Any other highlights before today that anybody wants to talk about? Sheila, did you see anything before today? Yeah, um, I got interested in the uh, clinical research um, part about um, COVID-19 issues and rheumatic disease. Um, Professor um, Dennis McGonigal gave a nice lecture on um, immunothrombosis and uh, uh, he, he, he explained, you know, the difference between a true vasculitis and a vasculitis mimics and how, how these are different, um, these are different from, you know, like a true vasculitis in the mild, milder forms of disease. Mm -hmm. Um, and also that of a vasculitis mimic in the more severe forms and how the, um, I liked I liked his term the battleground, where um, yeah. it's the alveoli <laughs> that he kept referring to as the battleground. So that was also an interesting session, including um, the abstracts that were presented in in that session. Um, I think just to add to the um, global rheumatology summit, I think it's a it's a very um, it's one of uh, the an important um, highlight of the pre-convention in that. You know, um, it's not just it's not just focusing on the ACR, but also um, what's happening around the world um, with the different rheumatologists. And so, um, I really um, I really was able to you know to, to connect um, because coming from another part of the world that has different um, you know different treatment strategies and even other treatment options are not available and how. Um, we we can as as a one group um, as rheumatologists really help change the world. Yeah. Absolutely, and you know what? The, one of the things that came up was rheumatology for all. It's bringing rheumatology education to places where they don't have good teachers or professors or access to training. And I mean, I'm thinking about it like leave no child behind, leave no joint behind. You know, maybe we should coin something like that. But rheumatology education, like what you're doing now, Jack, is just been incredible, like like how much we have paved the path forward um, to allow others to learn about our discipline. Train the trainers. We've become, you know, during the pandemic, we've become very much a one world community, more so than we ever would have been. Um, and I think that's a real plus uh, to one education and to the quality of care. Um, all that happened interestingly, under the leadership of our friend and mentor, Dr. David Karp, the uh, current president, at least for another few hours. Um, uh, anybody want to comment on his presidential address from today? He's amazing. Um, I mean, I've known Dr. Karp now for like almost 20 years. He actually trained me. He was my chief um, and so, you know, I interviewed him a year ago. I asked him, you know, what are you going to do? during this year. 
And he says, I'm going to work on reorganizing the ACR. I'm going to be working on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm going to be working on gender gap issues. I'm going to be working on education. I'm thinking to myself, wow, I mean, this is so much. But you know what? He delivered. He absolutely delivered. Even today, you know, like in the keynote address, I mean, he just flipped things so differently. He invited this powerhouse of a woman, Dr. Seema Yasmin, who came on and interviewed her. I mean, you know, if you knew Dr. Karp really well, it's like he's, you know, quiet and, you know, thoughtful. Um, and to have him in front of <laughs> this one woman who is just like so effusive, it's incredible. And, but it was such a good, good opening ceremony. Yeah, that interview, I mean, um, what she had to say and then that interview, which was very David Frost-like, very David Karp-like, um, really was both entertaining and highly informative. David asked the questions that's on everybody's minds. Um, and, and what else did you take from the, his address today? Rachel? I mean, I think in general, I have always appreciated the way he looks at things. And he had a tough job coming into this, as Kat denoted. Um, number one, he's in a powerhouse city with a lot of other powerhouse people. Dallas was highly represented today. And I think um, I just appreciated, especially that interview. I mean, that interview was amazing. She is incredible. And overall, what I really took from that is the spirit of reboot and um, the kind of empathy that we should have, not only for our patients, but for each other. And this understanding that while we don't know everything, specifically this was in regard to COVID, but realistically, we don't know everything. So we have to continue on this trend to teach each other. And so we are the best for our patients. And I, I think I always get that from him too, from Dr. Karp. Yeah. Um, Sheila, what did you get from Yasmin's keynote address? Um, so first thing, um, it was okay. It was a very interesting twist to your um, regular keynote lecture, and so um, I was really, I was really like listening in because she was really a, a very eloquent speaker as well. I mean, um, you know, but uh, but before I give comment on on um, on Dr. Yasmin. Um, for Dr. Karp, I like what he said in the first part of this of his speech, where he said that um, ACR convergence is where rheumatology meets, and he used um, four words: uh, collaborate, celebrate, network, and learn. And so, ultimately, these are the things that we are doing right now. Um, of course, including enjoy. <laughs> I think that's a very important word, um, and have fun. Um, so, so yeah, the the interview the q a um, session between um, dr carp and dr yasmin it was very inspirational um it it really took me when um when dr yasmin talked about um communication as being one of the most um frequent procedure in in medicine and i think um it it reminds us that you know um despite all that's happening with the pandemic um, the virtual engagements, it's, it boils down to, to good communication, um, important communication, not just between physicians, but between physicians and our patients and the community. Yeah. And you know what, I'm sorry to interrupt, Jack, but, but you know, one of the points that was, that Sheila made and that highlighted 
um, in Dr. Yasmin's speech is that, you know, physicians, we need to learn how to present information to the public. We need to be, you know, savvy with social media. We need to be able to talk to other people, educate them, and not just be, you know, behind a door writing prescriptions. That's not us anymore. As doctors, we are the face of medicine. We are science. So we have to learn how to do it in an effective way that it's, you know, going to um, allow people to not misinterpret data and yet drive science. Well, no. in her comments, go, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say her comments regarding social media, Kat, to that extreme about how we have to be really very cautious about what we put on social media. I mean, we talk about this all the time from a Room Now perspective. You know, we want to share good, um, appropriate information, data, et cetera, with, our, with everyone, right? You're sharing it with the world. But we've got to stand up and actually make a fight for um, what we want social media to look like, not have it be driven by um, advertisers and vendors. You know, we we have an opportunity to have a voice and, and a, a varied voice, and we need to be able to do that. And I thought that was really well stated. And I mean, she's just a powerhouse. What so, an incredible history. Yeah, that I wanna just clarify for the audience, that latter point was uh, David asked her, you know, what does she think about social media and the potential for bias when you're, you know, throwing out sound bites and whatnot? And she really said that, you know, there's a lot of things about it, but that there is a potential for misleading and that there need to be safeguards and whatnot. And I think that that's, we, so we worry about that a lot at Room now because we do teach in short form. And the good news is that we've got a large audience and we get a lot of feedback. I put a, I put a tweet out there about interchangeability and um, the first drug that has an interchangeability label. And I was um, a little bit misleading and Angus Worthington, you know, he, uh, Worthing, I'm sorry, he uh, challenged me on it right away, uh, both personally and then um, on Twitter. And I think that needs to happen. We need to hold each other um, um, to the facts and, and speak to the facts and try to avoid, you know, the opinions, which can be kind of one-sided. Um, but Kat, your point about you know, be good at communicating. I think that really was a, the feature of Mike Brenner's year in review. You know, Mike Brenner is a great scientist. Um, he's known for high quality work. Um, he had the hard task of giving this largely clinical audience the, the top citations in the field in the last year. And what did he do? You know, he won on each of the citations. He told a little bit of a story a little bit of background, here's the paper, here's what it means. Uh, and then at the end, when he was done, he wrapped it all up and he reviewed what he just told you. So if you were someone who doesn't, you know, you know subscribe to JEM and, um, and JCI and, uh, and the Journal of Immunology or whatever, you know, you probably learned something just by listening to Mike Brenner. Um, so let's talk first about the basic science year in review. Any highlights for any of you? Rachel, do you want to start? Yeah. I mean, I really thought it was interesting that we discussed IL-1 and osteoarthritis. I don't know if anybody else thought that was amazing, but I don't actually remember a year in review that has included OA before. Can you guys think of one? Single largest, greatest unmet need in all of rheumatology. We should be talking more about osteoarthritis. 
Yeah, that was my main highlight. I think I, he did an excellent job, but that I was like, oh, I really tuned in and was kind of like, interesting. Tell me more. And how does this work? What is the mechanism? I just, I thought that was the highlight by far for me. Yeah. I mean, being pivotal in what happens with cartilage degradation. Kat, did you have one that you, you, you liked? Um, I love the fact that, you know, he's saying the future is going to be engineered cells to control inflammation, <laughs> like whew, mind blown, forget about injections, forget about pills, engineered cells. Yeah. What's the stock for that? <laughs> well, you know, we actually, we wrote about that on room now a few weeks ago. It is a very cool, um, sort of approach taking basically engineered cells that you implant um, in a scaffold into, and then what you do is you implant cells that are programmed to sense something in the case, in this case, inflammation. And then once it senses, then it delivers an anti-inflammatory therapy that's engineered and, and built in. So in this case that they use, there was a delivery of IL-1 RA as an anti-inflammatory approach when inflammation was, that was very cool. I still is. And, and, and I don't, I don't know that a lot of people saw, uh, understood that when we wrote about it a few weeks ago, but I'm glad that he made that one of his, his top um, citations. Sheila, was the one that you liked? Um, same with Rachel, it's the IL-1. And I also like the fact that, um, you know, despite being a celebrated scientist, um, he really included like, um, and mentioned in the last part of his slides that um, he, he actually apologized for not being able to include some of the other um, other uh, articles or researches that were also important, but due to the time limitations. So you see how um, here's a, a good scientist and then you see the, the qualities of being a humble researcher and, um, and, and how he, he was able to simplify things. Um, for, for example, for, for a doctor like me, who's more of a clinician than, than a basic um, sci clinical, sci uh, sorry, basic scientist. So it gives you more perspective. Um, it keeps you listening in on the topic. So it was really a good talk. Yeah. I like that he sort of reviewed sort of the discovery of Vexus and um, the Ubiquitin and UBA1 um, X-linked association with an auto-inflammatory syndrome. That was sort of a highlight from last year's meeting that now is in publication and therefore um, um, was worth mentioning. And then I like that he mentioned Virginia Pasquale's work in New York. Virginia Pasquale is a longtime collaborator of Kat and I, um, and she's got this great way of showing where the inter alpha interferon comes from in, in, you know, in lupus. We always knew it was from, we thought it was mostly from you know, plasmacytoid dendritic cells under multiple influences that were uh, giving rise to interferon as one of the main drivers of lupus. And if you're interested in that topic, Peggy Crow is doing a Klimper lecture, I think, on that in a few days. Um, but, you know, she shows that these retained mitochondria in cells is another big time driver of um, interferon alpha. I thought that was really kind of cool. I didn't even know that Virginia was working on that. So congratulations to them. And there are many collaborators. If you look at the author list on that, Virginia includes everybody that she's ever worked with on these projects. She's very generous in her authorship on these very important papers. So any other highlights from basic science or shall we move on to the clinical stuff? Let's go to clinical. So Karen Kostenbatter did a really uh, fabulous job of reviewing a lot of things. She reviewed 
the Avacapan FDA approval, the Aurora One trial, the um, tofacitinib, a JAK inhibitor in ankylosing spondylitis, the whole disaster that is the 1133 oral surveillance study and safety concerns behind Jack. Great news for Jack. Wait a second. Not so great news for Jack. The Arctic Rewind, a step-down study, if you will. The Tyco, the Tyco Spa, the tight control and spondoarthritis, um, NEOA, step exercise, and then disparities. And then she ended with, I mean, she ended with COVID. COVID. I mean, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's, that right there is about two hours worth of work that I think she put into the 30 minutes. Um, what was your highlight? Let's uh, begin with Sheila. Well, um, my highlight was uh, more of the, you know, um, having to, to receive or get um, positive results from the trials, such as that of the Aurora one, you know, that um, there have been a lot of clinical trials and lupus, but the results are not as positive. And so we, um, we're, we at least have, you know, um, some light into uh, the end of the tunnel <laughs> um, right. with lupus. And, and also, I like how she, um, she presented the data with the different studies, um, the Arctic Rewind study. Um, although, of course, um, along the way, you would also think of questions as to whether, like, for the Arctic Rewind, um, why would... Uh, why would you know patients in remission um, have to be on, uh, the difference between you know stepping down or tapering down and compared to giving a stable dose if you're a DMARD? Um, let's yeah, go she, back she to let's let's go back to Vocalsporin though the Aurora trial trial that's a, a lupus nephritis trial they did better um, because they had a clear cut endpoint and that was a complete renal response and UPCR and 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 whatnot. They had like double the placebo response, 41% versus 23%. That was great. And that's like you said, that's important in lupus trials. Vocal sporins new. And then she was asked questions about how will you use this with, you know, mycophenolate and other drugs. And of course, it's brand new and we don't know. Kat, do you know the dose of vocal sporin yet? So it depends on your renal function. Oh. And so you know I'm trying to, if, trying to stump her and she's gonna now she's gonna teach me about <laughs> Let's not let's let, let's go past the stumping part. And let me give us give us your impressions of Oclosporin results. So I do have to say that I participated in the study during the clinical trials, and it's actually a very impressive drug. I've I've prescribed it before too um, recently to my patients where they were so refractory and we needed something to add on, and so it's a great add-on drug. It really is. I mean, it is expensive, um, but one of the things that I agree with her was the fact that you know like compared to, to Crolimus, I mean, like, are we paying a lot more for something that can do the same thing? But then she also mentioned that, you know, the toxicity, the side effect profiles of Oclosporin is gonna be so much better than to Crolimus. You don't have to monitor levels. Mm -hmm. um, so that is definitely a convenience. But my patient so far has tolerated the drug really well. Um, I'm gonna continue to prescribe it as it's available on formulary. I think that there's a place for it. Absolutely, particularly if it allows my patient to get off of steroids. So is there a place for Avacapan? Are you Rachel, asking me you or you're asking somebody else? <laughs> well, I'm asking Rachel. It's a, it's a, I wanna, and you know, it's FDA approved. It yes, had it some is. problems at the FDA hearing. It was sort of a split dose. It didn't really meet its primary endpoint. And it doesn't really show a safety advantage over the steroid arms and how it was tested. And it's $150,000 or more a year 
So is there a place for a backup pan? What do you think, Rachel? I mean, I think you're asking me the right question, but I'm going to answer the question that I want to answer, which is yes, of course, there is a place for every drug because there's going to be a patient that will benefit from each of our medications. I mean, I think that's kind of the spirit of what I've learned from 2021 in general. Um, I absolutely think there's a place. I agree with you. There was some dissension amongst uh, the FDA, especially with only one trial that brought this to head. But um, yeah, I mean, we need another win for our patients with vasculitis, just like we needed another win for our lupus nephritis patients. There's going to be an opportunity for at least one of my patients to go on a vacapan and be a success story. So yeah, I absolutely think we needed it. Okay. Um, any, Rachel, what was your favorite from the clinical, um, topics that, um, Karen brought up? Well, initially I thought I was really going to like the Avacapan and getting her kind of ideas on what she, where she would use it for patients, but I really enjoyed the COVID <laughs> information. I mean, number one, the amount of information that we have some amazing rheumatologists working on, it's just incredible. Like just the evolution of everything was really exciting. Um, yeah, that's, that yeah. was mine. She, she highlighted the, the MISC and then the two okay. large studies with differing opinions about IVIG and that maybe the US is right. Looks like a better done study. And then the deaths from the Global Rheumatology Alliance that a bunch of you out there are participating in, Catherine's participating in 300 plus deaths. I want to say, make this statement. And, you know, from that study, we know that um, the, some of the risk factors for bad outcomes with COVID amongst our patients are fourfold higher risk of death and bad outcomes with rituximab. But you also do bad if you are on sulfasalazine. You also do bad if you are on a JAK inhibitor and steroids and um, abatacept. You know, I wouldn't have expected a lot of those things. My, this is my take. I don't think it's those drugs. I think it's the patients that go on those drugs. I think if you're on sulfazalazine, you're largely not being treated. And I think the patients who do well under, in, the, in the era of COVID are patients who are well-controlled, well-treated. If you're on steroids, you're probably in trouble. And the higher the dose, it's always a bad risk factor. But patients who go on JAK inhibitors and maybe abatacept, and certainly rituximab, they tend to be our worst patients. They're not your first second line are usually best controlled patients. And we do know activity is a strong factor. Age, you know, is a big factor, obesity, comorbidities, but activity of, the, of our immuno, uh, immune disorders is a, is a, so I'm not willing to indict all those drugs. Does anybody want to disagree with me? I'm going to say I disagree with you for rituxan because patients on rituximab really don't respond with their humoral immunity. I mean, they have lower levels of antibodies. That's been demonstrated by Al Kim. So I, and I agree that the patients who require steroids, who require rituximab, yes, they're at another higher level at right. risk. But I think the drug itself with rituximab definitely could, could contribute to the mortality and morbidity that has been seen. Yeah, we yeah. Do, I would also recommend avoiding rituximab in patients who you're worried about COVID and whatnot. It's a bit of a, a, a the data seems to be repeating itself there. Maybe the that's where we use a vacuban. Yeah, maybe <laughs> it is. I mean, again, a good example of a potential opportunity. All right. Well, that's a, that's a, Sheila, do you have another, uh, you brought up the issue of the Arctic Rewind, which is a very interesting study. And, um, and it really underscores this idea that we probably shouldn't be 
um, withdrawing therapy on our, our, on our patients. And 92 patients, they were in DAS remission. You either continued your therapy um, uh, or, and they had both TNF inhibitors and, and, and conventional DMARDs, you either continued your therapy or you half the dose and the half dose patients just didn't do well. Um, has, is this how you practice or has this changed the way you practice? Yeah, well, um, yeah, um, particularly because um, it's, ha it's well, coming from a different part of the world where, you know, um, it's, it's only just, for example, methotrexate that's more, um, that's more affordable or more available. And we, we don't have a lot of biologics um, available in, in our country. So, um, so the, the results would, would tell you um, that, yeah, I'm doing, I mean, I'm doing this in some of my patients and, and um, it, it gives you insight on whether, okay, I think I really need to just maintain it on a stable dose. Um, as long as you regularly follow up your patients and they're compliant with their medications um, and also managing expectations um, a shared decision making between the patient and the physician is very important in, in the management of the of, of our rheumatic diseases. And so I think, um, yeah, it's it's a very it, it plays the the Arctic trial, the results of the trial gives importance into you know, considering what patients should be on um, tape should be tapered or just maintained on stable dose as long as um, you you check or you regularly follow up for side effects or for for other um, for increased flares I think yeah um, we're we're at the end of this session but I want to end with Kat what do we have anybody has any questions for our panelists you can write them into the uh, chat section we'll try to get to them. But Kat, do you have any closing remarks on um, the opening day? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the meeting. There's some really exciting stuff that's going to happen from the great debate, telling me how I'm going to manage my lupus nephritis to plenary sessions. Because, you know, we there was a plenary abstract that talked about how over the last 20 years, lupus nephritis deaths had actually gone down. So that's actually very, very exciting updated figures. So I'm just looking forward to the rest of the meeting. Yeah, I'm gonna be looking forward to 1133 oral surveillance study, multiple abstracts on that. That's gonna help us navigate the future discussions on JAK inhibitors. Um, Rachel and Sheila, what are you looking forward to in the days coming up? I just kind of want to bring up one thing. There's a master in our midst, guys. I don't know if you were aware. Uh, Dr. Kush was awarded a master of the ACR. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, but to answer, oh, what are you going to show us? Oh, I don't have, I don't have a crown, but I can wear a mask on top I, we of my can head. Look at I your write crown. master on top here for the, throughout the meeting, see how that goes. That looks like a bra, Jack. <laughs> and that's the end of that. Okay. But, but honestly, it's um, it is a huge award, and we're really we're humbled and we're grateful for you and everything that you've done in terms of rheumatology education, both personally and of course for everyone else. But I am looking forward to ACR 2021. There are going to be a lot of great abstracts, including some plenary sessions on psoriatic arthritis and AS, which is my area of interest and uh, expertise. So I'm looking forward to that. Sheila, what about you? 
yeah, I'm looking forward to to another exciting virtual experience. You know, despite the time, the huge time difference, um, I've, I'm learning lots, and um, I'm looking forward to to listening in on the plenary sessions, um, the abstract sessions, and even the posters on um, lupus and axial spondyloarthritis, um, and also. I think it's it's um, interesting to to look into the um, community hubs, um, particularly for me. I'm also um, interested in education, and so um, so yeah, lots of things to look forward to. Yeah, the plenaries tomorrow. Interesting, Rizankizumab and PSA lupus nephritis mortality in the United States. The ARIA study, which is an abatasa preventing at, uh, RA in at-risk individuals. Blood-brain barrier issues in lupus um, uh, patients with cognitive dysfunction. And that's a plenary, yeah. That's a plenary. Yeah, these are all plenary sessions, and then the how immunosuppression affects uh, antibody titers um, in our patients who get the COVID vaccine. So, mm -hmm. I want to thank the panel for viewing in. I hope that all of you will tell your friends that we're going to keep doing this every night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be the ACR recap featuring the Room Now faculty. Thanks everyone, take good care. Thanks, Jack. Thank you.